this very differently today. I always read my scripture, give you my title, uh, and then go into my message. I'm actually going to talk quite a bit this morning before I give you the scripture. Uh, we're going to talk about several different scriptures. So if you're taking notes uh, today, you're going to want to jot the scripture down. Uh, I believe God's going to speak to us today through his word. So I'm going to tell you first my title. This is totally out of order for everybody else, but God's laid a message on my heart that I want to share with you today that I've simply titled, It's Time to Pray. Can I get an amen out there in the virtual world? It's time that the church goes to prayer. Amen. So uh, in God's leading and directing me to share this word uh, with you today, um, I, I know that we have uh, received extensive instruction, you might say, through the media for managing uh, this coronavirus pandemic. Every time I flip on my TV, that's the title I see on all the news stations, coronavirus pandemic. And you know, what is needed, I believe, in addition to all of that instruction that we've been given is to how to deal with this thing on a spiritual level. I believe that's very needed. Because in reality, the spiritual realm drives the secular world. It's not vice versa. The secular world does not drive the spiritual realm. The Bible teaches us that the spiritual realm drives the secular world. So the instruction that I'm about to share today is for Christians. Because really there's only one instruction for the ungodly, and that's this. For the ungodly, for the lost and the sinner, that's turn from your sin to God and uh, surrender your life to the Lord. Embrace Christ as your Savior. That's the only instruction given to you. As Peter was preaching Christ on the day of Pentecost, the people asked him what they should do. And here was Peter's response. He answered by saying, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And if you're not in right relationship with the Lord today, now, right now, is the time to turn to Him with all of your heart, to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to take control of your life. Today, the Bible teaches, is the day of salvation. But for the Christian, this is where I believe I have a word for the church today. Every crisis is a call to seek God. Let me say that again. Every crisis is a call to seek God. Uh, he is, the psalmist taught us in Psalm 46 and 1, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. That's what the Bible says. I appreciate the efforts that our government is making to lead us through this crisis. One of the reasons that the 1918 pandemic was so devastating was because of the lack of this kind of great leadership. But however, that is not our ultimate source of safety. Uh, David said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's Psalms 20 and 7. He's not saying that we won't use chariots or we won't use horses. His focus is on what we are relying on in our hearts. See, when the government sends, I'll get an amen out of some of you here, when the government sends you a free check, of course, everybody's going to accept that free check. But I'm not relying on the government to take care of my basic needs. Our government is $23 trillion in debt. And this crisis will probably add at least another trillion uh, to that figure. The government can create debt, but it cannot create 
wealth. Did you hear me? The government can create debt, but it cannot create wealth. Well, in contrast, the God that we serve can create something out of nothing. He can speak to ga- he can speak galaxies into existence. He can turn water into wine. He can feed thousands with five loaves of bread and two small fishes, and he can do it without going in debt. If you need manna, he can rain manna down from heaven. If you need water, he can bring water out of a rock. Why? Because his resources are unlimited because he is infinite and he is omnipotent. So you need to make sure that you keep your eyes focused on him as you walk through this crisis. Because I want to tell you something this morning. His eye is on the sparrow and if his eye is on the sparrow, you can rest in the assurance that God is watching over you. Amen and amen. Now how do we turn this epidemic around? Does the Bible teach us how to deal with it? Yes, it does. We have abundant instruction in the Word of God. It's the most reliable manual in any time of crisis. Um, My focus today is on how to pray about it. We're going to talk about how to pray about it. Because for prayer to be effective, we must do it God's way. How should we pray, Pastor, right now at this time? I want to read my main passage of Scripture to you today. This past Wednesday, we pointed it out with the application of this passage of Scripture as Pastor Louis Giglio from um, Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. I shared his video this week on our live feed about 20 inches to mercy. But he took the scripture. If you didn't get to watch it, you need to watch last Wednesday night's video. It's an amazing message. But he took the scripture and gave us practical application out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Very familiar. Verses 13 and 14. We're going to read both verses today and then we're going to pray. In verse 13, in times of crisis, this is what we do. Listen to what he said. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. When, not if, when. Then he says, if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then. When, if, And then, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Pray with me and for me today. Father, thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, and your anointing. Thank you for your mighty presence we've already felt in this room. God, we we couldn't have planned that for a million dollars. But I thank you, Lord, that you walked right into this room this morning in such a rich and a very real way. And I believe, God, things were broken the heavenlies as people prayed together in unity. God, I'm asking you right now that you do the same through this word. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would speak to us today. And Holy Ghost, I ask you to anoint me. I ask that I would be decreased to nothing, that your spirit, your presence would be increased within me, that I won't preach anything today with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that the word will come forth today in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Lord, I give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. 
I ask you to do it in and through your word today. And I give you the glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Nicholas. At the right time, we pray an authoritative prayer commanding plagues to cease, commanding trials to cease, and other things to cease. I want to prove that to you from God's Word. See, there is an appropriate time to tell a mountain to be removed or an appropriate time to tell a fig tree to dry up and die. Both of those things happen in the Bible. Otherwise, we're just howling at the moon if we try to do it at an inappropriate time. I don't believe that we begin this prayer by screaming at this virus, by screaming and, and rebuking it and, uh, and all of those things. I believe we begin our prayer by submitting ourselves to God. We begin by confessing our sins. We begin with personal repentance and renewed consecration to God. That's why this passage of Scripture that we just read is so important. You see, there was no command in this passage to rebuke the devil. The command was to get right with God. The command was to humble ourselves and to pray and to seek God and to turn from Our wicked ways. Whose wicked ways? He wasn't talking to the world here. He was talking to the church to turn from our wicked ways. You see, the lack of that is what opened the door, if you will, for the problem in the first place. If we open the door by our wicked ways and our neglect of relationship with God, then we have the power to close the door by turning from our wicked ways and seeking God. That's what the Word said. See, the first step to submission to God is found in James chapter 4 and verse 7. The word says, submit yourselves then to God. We're talking about the when, if, and then. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to notice that order on the scripture. It says, submit to God then resist the devil. That will produce the results. You see, resisting or rebuking the devil when we have not submitted ourselves to God first is non-effective. The authority that we can exercise in the spiritual realm is directly proportional to the level of our submission to God. Let me say that statement again. The authority that we can exercise in the spiritual realm is directly proportional to the level of our submission to God. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. We find that in John 5 and 19. And then in John 15 and 5, Jesus said something similar about you and me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. He said, for without me, you can do nothing. You see, to operate out of a carnal mind on our own initiative is pointless. Authoritative prayer flows out of abiding in the vine. It comes as we hear God in the Spirit. You have to be able to hear God in the Spirit. Then we speak what God is saying. And then we insist on what God what God is willing to be done. Our prayer must always be an execution of His will. What did Matthew 6 and 10 say? I didn't give them this scripture, but He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can petition God for whatever we need, but authoritative prayer depends upon our alignment with God. We can ask God for anything we need, but in order to have authoritative prayer, that's dependent upon our alignment 
with God. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we are asking according to His will, He hears us. Now, if we were to go on to the next verse, it affirms the answer. But we cannot ignore the condition that we have in this verse that says, if we ask anything according to His will. See, three things need to be lined up for authoritative prayer. And these are the three things, if you're wanting to write them down. Three things need to be lined up for authoritative prayer. First of all, the will of God. Second of all, the timing of God. And third of all, a life submitted to God. The Bible teaches us to confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We find that in James 5 and 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. The key word there being righteous. In fact, God told unrighteous people that he would not hear their prayers. Did you know that? God spoke to unrighteous people and he said he won't hear their prayers. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 1, 15 and 16. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, watch this, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Listen, it's not the volume of prayers that gets the ear of God. It's a submitted, obedient heart. James says that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But I want us to get the full context of that. Let's look at that in context. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. James 4, 7 through 10. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Why am I emphasizing this this morning? It's because we can miss the point of it all. If we jump right in to rebuking the devil, we get it out of order. First, we must get in right relationship with God. Then, and only then, can we assert the authority against the devil and against disease. Part of praying the will of God is submission to God's timing. See, during the first three plagues on Egypt, God allowed the plagues to strike His own people as well as the Egyptians. People with Overly simplistic theology are a little baffled by this. Why would God allow His own people to be afflicted with polluted water, with frogs, and with lice? He was getting their attention as well as He was getting the attention of the Egyptians. He was preparing them to exit Egypt. He was disturbing their nest so that they would follow Moses to the promised land. To stand up and to command those plagues to cease before God had accomplished His purposes through them would have been useless. But once they had served their purpose, listen to me, but once they had served their purpose with the Israelites or the church, God made a distinction between them and the Egyptians. None of the other plagues touched them. Jesus 
moved in the timing of the Father, and we must move in the timing of God. Those plagues affected all the Israelites. Uh, In our individualistic society today, we underestimate the connection of God's people. Because when one member of the body suffers, the Bible says we all suffer. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 26, it doesn't say that we should suffer. It says we do suffer. We are members of one another. And when God brought chastening on Israel in the first uh, deportation, if you will, of Babylon, godly people went into captivity along with other people. Godly people were taken into captivity as well. Daniel was one of those. Daniel was taken into captivity, and he was made one of Nebuchadnezzar's eunuchs. And that, what a painful experience that must have been. If you don't know what it is or what it means to be a eunuch, you need to look that up and study it. He was probably a teenager. I taught a Wednesday night lesson on this one time. And there's every indication that he was a good, godly person. But the judgment on Israel as a whole affected Daniel greatly. And in Luke 13 and 4, Jesus referred to an incident in which the Tower of Siloam fell on 18 people and killed them all. Then he asked, Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? The implied answer there in that passage is no. His point is that it did not happen because they were worse sinners than others. Another example, when the disciples saw a man born who was blind at birth, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this boy or his parents, that he was born blind? They seem to have a simplistic theology like a lot of Job's comforters. You know, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But what was Jesus' answer to this question? Jesus answered them and he said, Neither this man nor his parents has sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. There were times in the Bible when judgment would fall on an individual because of an individual's sin. I want you to stay with me. Listen, you're taking notes. It happened to Gehazi in 2 Kings 5 and 27. It happened to King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. It happened to King Herod in Acts chapter 12, verses 19 through 23. But sorrow and sickness usually comes as a result of living in a fallen world. Romans 8 and 23 tells us that. It doesn't mean that it happened Because of individual judgment or individual sin. So why are you saying that, Pastor? I'm saying our response to anybody. And hear me when I say this because there's a doctrine going on in this world today that if you have this disease or that disease, it must be because you don't have enough faith and yada yada and all this mumbo jumbo garbage. Excuse me. Because our response to anybody who gets sick, whether it's with the coronavirus or whether it's with cancer or whether it's with anything else, should be, our response should be one of compassion and one of care, believing for God to be glorified through their healing. Did you hear me? That's what our response should be, believing God to be glorified through their healing. I want to tell you something. If Ray White walks away from that scan healed, I can promise you God's going to be glorified through that healing. So our response to anybody who's battling sickness should be compassion and care, and we should believe God to be glorified through their healing. Now, secondly today, I want to talk about prayer is a crucial factor, uh, I believe, specifically, in stopping this pandemic. Uh, The Lord just really laid that on my heart 
the past two weeks, especially last week after I listened uh, to Pastor Louis Giglio uh, and the message that he brought. I believe that prayer is a crucial factor in stopping this pandemic. You see, we see the plague that broke out in Numbers chapter 16. That chapter records the rebellion of Korah and the judgment that fell on those people. And seeing that judgment scared the people, but it did not change their hearts. I want you to follow with me as we read Numbers 16, 41 through 50. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once and fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has came out from the Lord. The plague has started. Boy, that sounds familiar. So Aaron did as Moses said, and he ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered, watch this, the plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Listen, the incense that Aaron carried represents intercession. Do you follow me today? The incense that Aaron carried represents intercession. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it gives us that understanding. Read that one later. It's intercession uh, based on the atonement. Our plea is not the goodness of man. Our plea is the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Moses instructed Aaron, what did he tell him to do? He said, take the censer and put a fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. It was through that intercession that the plague was stopped. And verse 48 says, Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Listen to your pastor today. During this time I believe God is calling the church to stand between the living and the dead. I believe God is calling the church because we're the only ones that know how to take the fire from the altar and carry the incense under the nostrils of God because it'll go up like a sweet smelling aroma to Him. It will get His attention and God is calling the church to intercede for the people. This world world around us is lost and dying and going to hell. God raise up a church that will get in an altar of prayer and burn the incense and the sacrifice before an almighty God. I believe that God is calling us to do that. The Bible teaches us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. I didn't give him this scripture, but what did it say? It said God's not willing that any should perish. God don't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. The safety, the salvation is linked with repentance. Oh, a lot of people don't want to preach about repentance today. I just want to ask for forgiveness, but don't ask me to stop doing what I'm doing. Oh, don't ask me to stop going where I'm going. 
Don't ask me to stop saying what I'm saying. Don't ask me to stop doing what I'm doing. But I want to tell you something. True repentance is what opens the doorway to salvation, to deliverance, to healing, to manifestations. It takes true repentance. It's more than just saying, God, forgive me. It's saying, I'm going to turn and walk away from the the direction I've been walking. I'm going to do a 180 and go the other direction. I want you to notice how God, though, takes responsibility for the plague. If you study the plagues in the Bible, you don't find much mention of the devil. You ever thought about that? It don't, it don't give much credit to the devil when you study the plagues in the Bible. If you study the plagues in the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll find that it, very few give much attention to the devil. But before the plague, due to David pridefully uh, counting the people in 1 Chronicles 21 and 1, that verse says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Satan's role was to tempt David toward the sin. That's the role of the devil, is, is to tempt the church toward the sin. And it was David's sin that brought on the plague. It wasn't the devil. It was David giving in to the devil. Hello, somebody. Verse 7 says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. See, in the day and the hour in which we live, I don't know if you'll help me preach from home or not, but it's not politically correct anymore to say that God would judge anything. Right? Because God doesn't judge. God is, oh, I've heard this till I don't even want to say how I feel about it sometimes. God is love. God could never do that. Why would a loving God do that? It's just not politically correct to say that God would judge anything. And it's not politically correct to say that God would actually send a plague. But I want to tell you something. That may not be politically correct today, but that's exactly what Scripture says about the plagues in the Bible. God sent it, and when His conditions were met... Then God removed it. Again, repentance and intercession were the keys to resolving the problem. There's no mention here of social distancing, although I believe that's a wonderful thing to do. It's a new term none of us heard about till 2020, social distancing. I've even used it myself so people didn't judge me for my birthday gift yesterday. By the time I got to the door, the members were in their car. They were social distancing. We stand up here and we worship six feet apart, socially distant. Praise the Lord. That's, that's a good thing to do. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying there's no mention in the Bible of it. What it does mention is repentance and intercession. See, none of the leaders of our country are saying, the word says when I send the plague on you, if my people, which are called by my name, See, they they give us all the other instructions. Yes, it's good instructions. I'm not making light of that. But why isn't somebody standing up and crying out, When I do this, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God is looking for somebody that will humble themselves. God is looking for a church that will pray. A church that will turn from their wicked ways. God is looking for the church to Seek his face and allow him to move. Repent and then he'll hear us from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and he'll heal our land. The prophet Gad told David, I'm getting to my point. Title of my message, it's time to pray. The prophet Gad told David to erect an altar, which David did. 
He offered sacrifice, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings. I thought about that. Didn't really look up what a fellowship offering was, but I'd love to have some good fellowship. Amen. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered with fire from heaven on the burnt offering. The Bible says in that passage of Scripture that the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back into his sheath, the Bible says. And when David saw what the Lord had done, he offered sacrifices there. Now listen, we don't offer bulls and goats on an altar in the New Covenant. Instead, we place our faith in the one all-sufficient sacrifice Jesus made at Calvary. Our intercession is based on that provision. And in this story, and in Daniel chapter 10, the Bible says the veil is pulled back. And we see spiritual activity behind the events going on. I want to tell you something today, church. Our crisis is not just about viruses and financial recovery. Did you hear me? Our crisis is not just about crisis, uh, viruses, and financial recovery. Behind it all are spiritual forces. Satan is working, and God is working. Heavenly events and earthly events are interconnected. I believe that. And what you and I do during this time matters. So this leads me to my third and final point. How should we be praying right now? Listen, Wednesday night, we're going to pray at the end of this message, but Wednesday night, we're going to spend an hour in worship and prayer. How should we be praying? And really, I told you I was going to do it differently today. This is the meat of my message and my main text. So please don't drop off of the feed now. Stay with us. And I want you to get the meat of the message and we'll be done. Thirdly, Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 provides a model, I believe, for asking for God's intervention. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 today. This is the kind of prayer that the church should be praying right now. Because it positions us for receiving God's help in the time of need. In the first two verses, we see Daniel aligning himself with the will of God and the timing of God. Let's read. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes... Uh, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, who's writing this, understood from the scriptures, notice he said that, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel understood God's timing and his will by studying the word of God. Daniel understood that that what was going on had a timetable attached to it because the prophet Jeremiah had already prophesied it. You see, effective prayer is always undergirded by a knowledge of principles and direction from Scripture. If I've got a tweetable statement this week, that's it. Effective prayer is undergirded by a knowledge of principles and direction from Scripture. And we've identified some of those principles in this message, but we're going to review some more in this prayer. In verse 3, we see that Daniel made a decision. He made a uh, determined choice to intercede. He said, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and in petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Boy, fasting is a lost art in the church today. I want you to notice the stance that he takes. It was to humble himself, consistent with 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall 
humble themselves. That's the first condition. Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes are indicative of humbling oneself. Read Psalm 35 and 13. Uh, we need to fast. Can I tell you that? The church needs to fast. So from be- between last Wednesday and this Wednesday, I've been asking you, if you haven't started yet, start now. Fast something before we get together online for this hour of worship and prayer on Wednesday night. So then Daniel addresses the core problem. The core problem he sees is sin. God's people had been unfaithful. And that was why their trouble came. I believe God's people have been unfaithful today. Oh, it's probably even quiet in the living rooms right now. It got quiet in this building. I believe God's people have been unfaithful today. We've chosen other things over the house of God. Now we don't have the option to go to the house of God. We have to log on and watch it online. Can I get an amen out in the Facebook world or the YouTube world? You didn't have the option to get in your car and drive here this morning because we can't have public gatherings. But before this happened, a lot of people in a lot of churches across a lot of nations chose other things than worship. God's people have been unfaithful, and that's when their trouble came. It was a corrective measure by loving God. And rather than allowing them to totally corrupt themselves to their own destruction, God intervened to turn them back to Him. Daniel understands that. He's praying with understanding. He's addressing issues that matter to God. So in verses 4 through 8, here's what Daniel said. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Watch this. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from Your commands and laws. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, You are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. You see, the sin that brought on the problem can never be ignored. The sin that brought on the problem can never be ignored. In Numbers 25, verses 1 through 8, there's another plague there. I don't have time to read those scriptures today. But that plague came as a result of idolatry and sexual immorality amongst God's people. And dramatic steps had to be taken to end the sin before the plague ceased. And in obedience to God, listen to this, in obedience to God, Moses killed all the leaders. Wow. An Israelite man defiantly brought a Midianite woman in front of the whole assembly. Phineas, the Bible says, drove the spear through both of them. The Bible says that final act against sin ended the plague. The actions of Moses and Phineas may offend the sensibilities of some people today, but it demonstrates how decisively we must deal with sin if we want the situation to turn around. It demonstrates sin has to be dealt with if you want the situation to to turn around. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you got to deal with the sin. Stop living in the sin. Somebody that's listening to me today and watching me today and hearing my voice today, you want to run to the house of God, but then you want to run back out into sin. You want to ask God to forgive you and sing in praises and worship, and then you want to go right back out and return right back to the same place in the same shape, doing the same sin. You want to go home, close your closed doors, watch things you shouldn't watch, listen to things you shouldn't listen to, and do things you shouldn't do. God said, kill the sin. And when you kill the sin, I'll turn the situation around. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Daniel doesn't sugarcoat the sin, and I'm almost done today, that got Israel into trouble. He identifies the sin. He confesses it because he was guilty of it. And he asked for forgiveness and mercy. Daniel was a godly man, but he understood that his connection, he understood his connection with the nation of Israel. And rather than distancing himself from those sinners, he identifies with them so that he can intercede for them. Of course, that's what Jesus has done for us. But this is an example for us. Instead of praying, they have sinned, Daniel prays, we have sinned. I believe the church needs to pray. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 said, If my people, that's not the world, that's God's people, will humble themselves and pray. Daniel says, we have sinned. Daniel continues to pray that way. He acknowledges the righteousness of God in bringing the disaster on them. But then he bases his request for relief on God's mercy and God's willingness to forgive. Verses 9 through 12. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned. We have sinned against you. You fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against Him, the passage said. And then in verses 13 through 15, I'm going to pass over that uh, because I don't have time to, to read it this morning, but he talks about the goodness of God in bringing them out of Egypt, and he talks about uh, the warning and the law of Moses about this, and uh, then he concludes his prayer, and I'm going to finish here if they'll come to the music. Daniel chapter 9, verses 16 through 20, he concludes his prayer right here. He says, Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, from your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object to scorn to all those around us. Watch this closely. Verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. I read those words on Friday evening. 
And I thought my heart would overwhelm me. For your sake, God, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, oh hallelujah, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If you finish reading in Daniel chapter 9, the rest of the chapter talks about Gabriel coming and confirming that God had heard the prayer. So I'm closing today with this. Here we are today in the midst of this crisis and this pandemic. Today is the sixth Sunday that we've not been able to meet together in this building for worship. When I walked in today and I saw your pictures all over all the seats, it was all I could do not to lose it. I'm about to lose it right now. It's the sixth Sunday we've not been able to meet together in this building for worship. I'm calling the church to follow Daniel's example and let's ask for God's mercy as the people of God let's pray the scriptures let's put ourselves in Daniel's shoes and apply the prayer in Daniel chapter 9 to the current crisis identifying it with God's people as a whole as we myself included confess our sin Acknowledge God's righteousness and His judgments. And confess the provision of forgiveness in Christ and in God's willingness to forgive. Ask for His mercy. I'm going to take a moment to pray while they sing. I want you right in your living room, right in your kitchen, wherever you are, to take a moment and pray for me. And would you do this? Would you do three things? Would you ask for God's mercy? Would you ask for Him to forgive? And would you ask for Him to bring an end to this pandemic? I know God is able to do it. As they sing, join with me.